Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. And around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel, national news slash radio. And we are proud to be sponsored by the S4 Group, S4GRP.com. A very informative weekly email update in politics and policy, state by state, federal, and the like, you can get that at s4grp.com and scroll down. You'll find the place to subscribe. And what another week it's been in the presidential race. Super Tuesday times two. You also had a weekend of primaries. And we have some big winners and losers. But I will tell you, folks, the electorate is angry. And a couple observations to make because we're going to go into little observations before we get into our guess that we're going to talk about a little bit later is the takeaways. What are the takeaways from this really crazy, crazy race? Well, the electorate is angry, and we talked about the fact that the Republicans shouldn't be the party of angry white men. Well, some people are saying right now they really should be the party of angry white men. Right now, Donald Trump Express is the party of angry white men. But additionally, Bernie Sanders is also, if you look at the results in Michigan with the surprise victory in Michigan over Hillary Clinton, narrow victory, but still a surprise victory. It wasn't expected. We're expecting at this point Bernie to fade. It didn't happen. Bernie is real. He can win in big states, and potentially the map coming up means that he could win in some bigger states. We're going to leave aside the delegate count and the way the Democratic Party apportions their delegates and the way the superdelegates, etc. But I will say... Just to say, Bernie is real, and the angry electorate, particularly the jobless or underemployed, as opposed to just unemployed, white men are going to, to, I'm sorry, are going to Bernie and to Trump. And Trump is just, if you're not, maybe if you're super angry, you're going to Trump, and if you're just angry and upset and distressed, in addition to many people, the young people going to Bernie... They're also go, you're going to Bernie, and Bernie Sanders is well. Sometimes you see that you know you go all the way around the circle, you get you know the the conservative and the liberal you know, as you go around the continuum, they kind of meet and they join up together. And you know if you don't want to be the party of angry white men, well somebody is out there going to be becoming the the angry white man candidate. But it's really incredible when you think about it. All this money, the establishment trying desperately on the Republican side, desperately, to kill off Donald Trump, and they just can't do it. They can't even make a dent, really, in the momentum, in the big momentum. Maybe the $40 million being spent, but I got to tell you, it's just very, very late to start going after a candidate after all this time of just leaving him alone and hoping that he'll implode. I mean, really, did they really expect... Donald Trump to become like Howard Dean and somehow figure out how to implode at the end. It's kind of wishful thinking when you think about it. And really, what has Trump done? Well, it's not really so much about the, from my perspective, his delegate lead is not insurmountable. He doesn't have a lock on the nomination. He's still got to continue to win. And in a head-to-head matchup, it seems that he can be beaten. But he has just scrambled the strategy, scrambled the calculus that nobody understands how to take him on. Nobody understands who's going to be the person to take him on. Right now, it looks like it should be Cruz. A week ago, it looks like it should be Rubio or two weeks ago. Kasich says it should be him. 
they're all going to meet together over this debate, obviously tonight. And they're all going to meet with Jeb Bush before that, potentially for an endorsement. Carly Fiorina endorsed Ted Cruz yesterday. But do these endorsements matter at all? Over the last couple of weeks, since New Hampshire, since South Carolina, Marco Rubio has kind of had every endorsement. It hasn't helped him at all. Marco Rubio is batting essentially zero. And why do I say he's not even picking up delegates in the states where he needs to pick up delegates? He's not even getting delegates. Mississippi, Michigan, no delegates. He's coming in last out of four. That's four out of four. So the, the calculus for Marco Rubio strategy, I know I'm jumping from topic to topic here, but what was Rubio's strategy? And we had people on the show trying to talk about Rubio's strategy. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, his strategy was this. Let me play for second place. I've said this to a number of people. And playing for second place always never works. I mean, you're thinking about it. It's let's let kill off all the people. Rubio spent a ton of money trying to kill off Chris Christie in New Hampshire. And he did. Chris Christie was gone in New Hampshire after New Hampshire. But in the, in the end, didn't get Marco Rubio anyway, anywhere. Rubio still finished fifth. Didn't help him. Then he didn't prepare for any other states. He wasn't there. And he keeps saying, well, Ted Cruz hasn't done as well as he said he was going to do. So therefore, we're okay. Well, you've also underperformed. I, whoever put together the, the as we've seen before, and you look at Obama's strategy in 2008, where he, where he said it's all about the delegates. It's all about putting the delegates together. That's what Hillary is doing this time. It's all about the delegates. And that's what the successful candidates are doing. They're amassing delegates. Now, Cruz has a strategy. Now, he's, not, he's underperforming the strategy that he had, but he is putting together delegates. I don't even understand the whole Rubio idea. I mean, you're finishing in single digits, and you're betting everything on Florida. We had a candidate back in 2008 who bet everything on Florida. His name was Rudy Giuliani. It didn't go anywhere. You bet everything on one state, you're going to do very successful in the state. It's almost agonizing to get to that point, that you want to get to that state finally. Finally, we're going to do well. Here, here we are. And you show up there, and people are underwhelmed. So it just seems that the more the establishment embraces Marco Rubio, the more establishment embraces anyone, and at least Ted Cruz has some real anti-establishment cred. Marco Rubio had, in the past, anti-establishment cred, but he really won over in a big way to try and get the establishment. Anybody who doesn't have that anti-establishment cred, and Marco Rubio has been trying to, well, we have the lanes, we're going to be in the lane there's this lane, there's that lane, there's the anti-establishment, the establishment lane. Now, we fell into that trap here on the show. We talked about it. We kind of acknowledged that that's really the way it should, you know, it might have the race going to shape out. It's going to be like brackets in the NCAA you know, tournament in March Madness, and you're going to have the brackets, everybody's going to play against each other, and they're going to come back, and then you're going to have the finals, and finally one-on-one. That's not the way it works. The contest is about delegates. And if you don't have a strategy to pick up delegates in every single contest, which clearly, if Rubio does have that strategy, then they're woefully underplaying. But it seems that they never really did. It was all about Mark momentum. Let's going to ride the momentum coming out of every say, three, two, one. We're going to finally, and we're going to, you know, trajectory straight to the top. And we're going to go ahead and do that. From my perspective, 
it just doesn't make any sense that you would go so long. Forget about winning. You'd be go so long in so many states without picking up significant amounts of delegates. And despite the fact, as I said, that Cruz has underperformed, and nobody expected, of course, Donald, you know, Donald Trump to do anything near what he did and to disrupt the race and be as disruptive and much of a change agent as he has been, you still have to have a strategy to do that. And all that's happened to Marco Rubio is just greatly diminished. John Kasich is hitting him from the middle. Ted Cruz is hitting him from the right. And I don't know exactly where to say Donald Trump is hitting him because I can't figure out where Donald Trump is, but he is certainly hitting him all over. And I'm not going to be the one, you know, Marco Rubio say, oh, he should get out of the race. Everybody's saying he should get out of the race before Florida, otherwise he'd be damaged goods. But it does seem to be somewhat of a disastrous trajectory that you want to go, he might go ahead and win, lose Florida. Even if he wins Florida, what does that do for him going forward? Yes, he won Florida. Okay, he denies Trump the victory. But then what? Then you move on to the convention? I mean, I think there has to be some meeting of the minds, some strategy between Kasich, Rubio, and Cruz as to how this is going to shake out. Because none of them really mathematically have a, have, have a good chance of clinching before the convention. And the strategy you know, is potentially to deny Trump delegates as much as possible. And therefore, it becomes more even. And who becomes the first among equals amongst Cruz, Rubio, Kasich is the big question. You know, who knows whether politicians can be big or not, whether they can rise above or not. I have to say the staying power of John Kasich has been impressive. Can he go ahead and parlay the second place finish in Michigan into something? He was really unable to parlay the second place finish in New Hampshire much. You know, you would have hoped that he would have gotten, but he camped out in Michigan, skipped all the other contests you know, he's picked up some delegates, but nothing really. Didn't really get much in Super Tuesday aside from Vermont. Although some could say that, well, the, some money by Barker Rubio was spent against him to prevent Kasich from finishing, from winning Vermont. And he would probably would have won Vermont without that money that Marco Rubio did. Who knows? Marco Rubio has really been the strategy. Let's kill off all the other people who aren't Trump so that he can be the last man standing. And, you know, that hasn't worked very well. But let's talk about Trump for a second. And then we'll get into the Democrats. There's no question that Trump has made this entire exercise incredibly entertaining. I mean, think about it. The guy goes and does a press conference on every victory night, and that way he gets all the networks to kind of cover him and don't cover anybody else. It's quite incredible. And this is Spin Class, and we're talking politics here on a Thursday morning on the Nachum Siegel Network. And I'm going to switch gears for a moment away from the presidential race. I want to talk to my good friend, Asher Mansdorf, currently the vice president of the Lawrence School District number 15. And Asher recently was under consideration for very high post in New York State government. Uh, we're going to let him speak about it. But one thing we talked about a couple times, and he's agreed to talk about on the show, is the outsider's impression of the inner workings of government. Hopefully I'm getting that right, Asher. Welcome back to Spin Class. Thank you for having me. So first, I want to talk about 
what position you were under consideration for and what that was like to be that. It wasn't public. It wasn't like everybody, even though you interviewed and that was made public and you could see the video online. And I thought it was a fantastic interview. But people really didn't know that you were under consideration or a finalist per se for a very significant position. Well, I've been on the school board since 2001. And as a member of the school board, I became acutely aware of the influence that the New York State Board of Regents has on education across the state, both for private school students and for public school students and for charter school students. And a position became available um, uh, when Merrill Tisch decided not to uh, re-up after her years on the board uh, as, as of the end of March, the beginning of April. So when the at-large position became available, I've, I uh, found a way to get my hat into the ring. So what, what does it mean at large? Tell me what at large means. Well, the, the, or actually tell the audience. I think I know what it means. So what happens is there are multiple judicial districts in the state of New York, I believe either 12 or 13, and each, judi each judicial district has a regent representing that district. So there's a ju judicial district for Nassau and Suffolk. There's one for Utica. There are several for New York City. And Don't then, forget about Utica, very important. And Utica. And um, then there are four at-large states, four individuals who, from a theoretical point of view, represent the entire state. Historically, those four seats were held by uh, citizens of the city of New York. Uh, there is now one judicial seat held by a fellow up in Buffalo. And because that, uh, it, it became apparent that the four didn't have to be from the city of New York, I decided to uh, take a shot at getting the seat. So what does it mean you to take a shot? Like you have to go speak to somebody. It's an application so, process. You fill out an online application. You're it's like applying to college. It appears to be similar to trying to get into West Point, where if you want to get into West Point, uh, a member of the Senate or of Congress has to submit your application. So uh, I was able to reach out to our local assemblyman Todd Kaminsky, and Todd Kaminsky was able to bring forth my application and um, arrange for an interview. So there were 21 people who interviewed for one seat. Um, I went up on a Wednesday. The interview started early in the morning. Mine was late in the afternoon. I had absolutely no idea what to expect. Um, I, I thought that I understood government being a member of um, the school board. Um, what, I, what I then realized as I was leaving Albany is that uh, I had absolutely no understanding of local government. and. Um, only now is the concept of how state government works beginning to filter down to my conscious level. Yeah, well, a lot of people feel that way. And often re journalists will refer to Albany as an alternative universe. Uh, so maybe expound upon that because that's kind of what I wanted to get into here is that the people who are enmeshed or who have been in Albany for a very long time, they're kind of immune to that outsider's perspective. What do you mean specifically that you learned that it was kind of through all your preconceptions out the window? Well, first, I, I, I decided not to take the car up. So I sat on the train on the way up and I, I get into a, a train that's going up to Rensselaer just across the river from Albany. And it seems that everybody in the train... And remember, you can't take an Uber from... You cannot get an Uber from that. You have to share a taxi with like five or six other people, which is... It also tells you you're not in Kansas anymore. But. Right. Um, 11, Side point. $11 a shot. And, um, and, and everybody gets a... I found this very interesting, actually. Everybody gets a little card. They said, who needs a receipt? They give them a card, and they don't put the number into the receipt. That threw me a little bit. But... Um, 
uh, I, uh, everyone sitting on the train is, most of the people are going up to Albany, and the majority of them are sitting on their computers. Those who aren't and are, in the, and, and are the phones, they're sitting, speaking in very, very hushed tones, um, as if there is um, some sort of very, very secret business going on. Um, as they're all going up in an attempt to lobby for issues that they find near and dear. Um, so I went up two or three times, and each time I went up, you, you see the, a similar cast of characters, and when you get to Albany, hundreds of people drop out of the train, running up to the state capitol, all going to meet somebody to push for their own specific and, and to them, very, very important cause. Um, well, there should be nothing. That should not be out of the out of the ordinary, right? I'm, that's, no, I'm sure there are people who approach you on the board with their specific cause, and that's you know totally appropriate. But what what's... I, 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 didn't, I didn't find that inappropriate. Oh, okay. No, no. Nobody's suggesting, actually. I don't want to give it the inappropriate. I don't want to make any insinuations. No, actually, what, I, what I was yeah. getting to is that it, seemed, it, it became apparent to me that they knew where they were going and what they were doing, ah. and I had absolutely no idea. <laughs> so I walk into a building, and of course you walk through a magnometer, and then they, they check you. I, I couldn't find my way around. I finally get up to the um, to the interview, and once again, um, it was an interview that I had no idea what to expect. I, I was overwhelmingly pleasantly surprised um, that I was sitting uh, in a room, and the the chair of the meeting was was gracious and welcoming, and made me very very comfortable, which um, made me a little bit less apprehensive. But you don't know what the questions are going to be. As a result, you don't know how to prepare for the interview. If I was going to law, you know, applying for a law job or as a dental job, you have some idea what to expect. This, there was no idea what to expect. Um, and then, of course, you face the challenge of, do you say, um, how much do you say and how much don't you say? Um, well, that's a, always a big question in politics. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the, the way the process works... The Donald Trump method is basically just to say everything. Yeah, um, the, the way it works is that the Assembly and the Senate meet in joint session and together they make a decision to um, select the, um, the, 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 their regent and they follow the recommendation of the, of the um, uh, evaluation committee. So you really don't have the opportunity to develop any sort of a relationship with the individuals who are actually doing the voting. Um, they put great a great deal of of um, effort into having the interview process, and then the Assembly and Senate members trust thoroughly those people who are in the committee, and I guess there are so many things that they have to do, you have to trust the committee, and then if you're lucky enough to convince... How, how many members of the committee are there? Um, when I was there, there were eight or nine who were sitting, both Republicans and Democrats. Um, Phil Goldfeder was there. It was nice actually seeing his face. He was very helpful. Ed Roth from Hempstead was there. He's a Republican. Um, Kathy Nolan, Deborah Glick, all very, very nice. Um, I, I feel bad I don't remember the other names. I, I was actually too apprehensive to write them down, but uh, it, was a, it was an interesting experience. And then I, I got the, I, I had the opportunity to meet Carl Hasty, the new um, Speaker of the Assembly, who just couldn't have been nicer um, to me. Um, uh, but in, in retrospect, perhaps... Um, I, I needed to be better prepared and uh, have a more um, impressive resume to have moved forward. Well, were you surprised if you, you went in there? Clearly, you wanted to do this because you were hoping to win. I was hoping to be elected. You're hoping to be elected. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. winning, elected, it's all, uh, it's all part of the same. So, was there. Do people hire 
lobby? Do they hire campaign managers for this kind of thing? Do they hire a lobbyist to go ahead and they you so, know go? So, so, so there, I would really say to you that there was my experience of beginning to understand uh, Albany and and the way it works. Even now, several weeks later, I don't know if that's the case. It appears likely to me that um, that there is. Um, a, a thoughtful process where in order to make yourself known to the people who you would like to influence to see you in a positive light that there is an advantage to being associated with somebody who helps the people who are going to vote for you see you in a positive light um, an, an image consultant or a, an, something like that an image consultant joining Jenny Craig six months before you go up you know ah. one of the one of those uh, <coughs> one of those uh, approaches Maybe so, spending some time in Emporio, you know, that that's it. Yeah. So it could have been the tie. It, 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 it could it certainly could have been the tie. So how many other members did you go ahead and meet during this experience? I mean, were you had, were you I walking had, around the, the Capitol knocking on doors? I mean how how does I, I, I was lucky enough to meet um, to to speak to Dove Heikind and to Assemblyman Weprin and Assemblyman Samanowitz. Because um, this would have been something sort of historic to have somebody representing the yeshiva community. If you, not that you necessarily are the guy, um, not necessarily that you would have only represented the yeshiva community, but you would have been identifiably an identifiably orthodox Jew. And I think, I mean, you did interview with your yarmulke. You made no pretense about it. It wasn't as if well, uh, in, in my interview, I was very, very clear that um, I found. I was very concerned that people might see my yarmulke as being off-putting or my connection to a group that some people think is exclusive and um, has no interest interfacing with the greater community. And I said that my wearing a yarmulke makes it very, very clear that I respect people who respect themselves and their beliefs. And I I think one of the beautiful things about the the great state of New York is that Everybody can be looked at through equal eyes. And I believe that that's the way I was looked at. So one thing is that about the process is I know what's thing that makes the regions particularly interesting is a lot of people think that the governor uh, controls the education department and controls education policy in the state. They also think that when you say it's the legislature together that the Senate and the assembly do it jointly. But that's really not the case. It's actually it's because of the imbalance of party members, it's really the Assembly Democrats solely who have the enough votes to elect the regents. So it all comes down to really, as many of these decisions do, to the, say, whims, I don't mean that in a negative sense, but it really comes down to the whims or to the, the wishes of a single person, I, meaning I, that's the Speaker of the Assembly essentially kind, kind of controls that, as opposed to, you would think the governor would, you know, something as important as, important as education would be uh, would be in control of that. Well, I I, I, I would take a I would take a different approach to it. The truth really is that the assembly members and the senate members are representative of the a broad cross section of the state of New York, and they have a caucus me- method where they share their beliefs and their interests to, with um, with the speaker, um, and as a result, I think this is as close to pure town hall democracy as you can get. Um, it, it would be impossible to have the entire state of New York work, you know, vote on, on regent members. But by having the assembly people and the, the assembly men and women and the senators, um, I don't think there's a male and female for that, um, meet together and, and discuss in caucus with their, with their leadership, 
and say as a result of meeting in caucus and having a committee uh, evaluate an individual, this is our recommendation. And as a, as a representative body of the population of the state of New York, this is how we vote. Um, it is an interesting process where um, you have uh, a significant number of, of people um, representing a one, one party, but that's state government here and that's state government in Nebraska. It doesn't sure. make a difference where you are. Sure. So that's the reality of how it's done, and you live with the reality how it's done, and it's, it seems to have worked out for, well for many, many years. Um, do I think that I would have been... Um, I was just pointing out the misconception of, you know, we think of the governor as being at the helm of state government, you know, the governor, whoever they are, saying and controlling most of the agencies. Education happens to be the exception to that. Ed education is the exception to that, right. And um, and the assembly controls the decision as to whether or not that, is, that exception should change. <laughs> right, so, correct, correct. So I, I think the possibility of it's changing is small, but a as I've said... You know, I, and I said in my interview that I'm, I, I'm a product of the decisions made by the Assembly and the Senate and the Board of Regents um, 50 years ago that created a pathway to success for me and for my friends who, um, who, um, uh, whose parents were survivors. It worked out pretty well for me, and I think it'll work out pretty well for the next generation as well. Um, the fellow that was selected, Mr. Reyes, Dr. Reyes, seems to have an overwhelmingly impressive resume. Um, we all have a sense of ego. I think I would have done a terrific job. I'm sure he's going to do a terrific job. And if another position opens up, I'll I'll be up there again with what? a different color tie. What was and uh, to Jenny Craig? I yeah, as Jenny Craig, yeah. that that's a that's a commitment right now. I mean, that's as if uh, you know, as if you were already uh, taking that to the bank. You know, New Year's resolution. Oh, if you Phil, want, Phil, Phil Goldfeder is a bicycle rider, so maybe I'll maybe maybe, uh, maybe I'll bicycle ride up to Albany, and by the time I get there, I'll look right. Maybe know. time to start. Yeah. So no more train for the for you. Yeah. Uh, your biggest surprise in the whole process. What what is the biggest thing that you learned as a as as an educator or somebody who who is who is committed to education? What is the biggest thing that you learn that you would educate others about the political process? That it, I, I think there's a real advantage to immersing yourself in understanding the political process um, and not just simply casting a vote at the ballot. Uh, I, th I think that many of us just listen to our friends and say, you get a phone call and say, who should you vote for? And you vote. But there are real issues, and these are real people, and these are people who care greatly and deeply about what it is they're doing. And they're willing to spend time to talk to you. So you should talk to them. And as a result, you will have representatives up in government who think the way that you do if you band together and, and make that commitment. I think that that's important. Um, okay, great. Dr. Asher Mansdorf, the vice president of the Lawrence School Board, who just had an unsuccessful run, although not entirely unsuccessful. You learned, learned something along the way. An unsuccessful quest to become a member of the Board of Regents. So we're wishing you best of luck in the future. Thank you very much. And we are out of time for this week on Spin Class. Thanks for joining us here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, sponsored by the S4 Group, S4GRP.com, and go sign up for the weekly newsletter. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks here on the Nachum Siegel Network.